Hey, hey, hey. It's time for Come At Me Bro. This is my unorthodox casual Friday version. Different intro music. My mug on the camera. No graphics. Well, some graphics. And I just just tried this. I just hit Instagram Live and went live on Instagram. So I don't know if anybody's going to be able to watch it. or They'll only hear one side. But I figured since I don't have a guest, it's okay. right? Because there's only this side. Uh, this is uh, where I answer any and all questions uh, posed to me. Uh, nothing is off topic. I will talk about anything uh, that has to do with me and not other people. And so uh, uh, let's have some fun. Uh, first of all, I have to I have to share a revelation with you. You know, I, I have um, I've been eating sh- a lot of sugar this week. So Kroger's has a sale on the kind bars. And the one that I like is the black cherry uh, cashew uh, kind bar. And they're like 10 for a, 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 a dollar each or 10 for $10. So naturally, I buy four or five of them. I only intend to eat one of them. And I end up eating four or five of them before I even go home at the end of the day. After meals, I feel like, oh, well, I ate a good meal. I'm going to treat myself. And I have to tell you, and I just told this to Elisa a couple minutes ago, um, my my pain threshold has gone up dramatically. Uh, not not my threshold, my, my pain level. My pain level has increased. And I told her, I said, the only thing I've done differently this week that I don't normally do is like, I've been eating a lot of sugar. I've been putting maple syrup on my oatmeal in the morning. I got, I've been putting raisins. You know, a quarter cup of raisins is like 35 grams of sugar. I mean, a quarter cup is nothing. Most of us put more than a quarter cup. And then I was putting... Uh, maple syrup because I have this beautiful organic maple syrup and I was putting that on it. So it's probably 50 grams of sugar in my oatmeal in the morning. And then I'm eating these kind bars like they're going out of style. And son of a gun, my foot hasn't hurt me since I had the surgery. And today it's sore. It has a sore feeling to it. And I'm convinced it's from the, uh, the added sugar in my diet this week. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And I thought I would just uh, share that with people out there because if you are someone who suffers from chronic pain, Getting sugar out of your diet will only, only make you feel better. Only. Okay. The first question, and look at this. I even have my agenda built. The first question comes from Kirkland Morletti. He says uh, in, in lengthy, he says, I've got a question for you. If I come at me, bro, do you have any good practical sources of tocotrienols, for the tocotrienol form of vitamin A besides rice bran? I've been looking into it for health of cell membrane uh, and I have a hunch that it may mitigate oxidation of carotenoids. And in fact, I think it does because don't they add vitamin E to preserve as a preservative for some some carotenoid supplements? I, I could be wrong about that. I may be confusing vitamin C, but but, but I, I I think that's the case. But anyway, the best source of concentrated. All eight forms of vitamin E, all four tocopherols and all, all four tocotrienols, is palm fruit and palm fruit oil. And you can get palm fruit oil. Uh, and I think sometimes they just call it palm oil. You may want to check that. But uh, you can get uh, the, the best vitamin E profile and, con- and concentrations are found in palm fruit. And so you can actually get from uh, Vitacost, a very inexpensive uh, whole form of vitamin E, all four tocotrienols, uh, all four tocopherols, and it's a, it's basically palm fruit in little capsules, or palm fruit oil in little capsules. That's the best that I know of. That's the best that I know of. Um, the next one comes from Joe Nasrallah. Actually, he has a couple, and, and several people submitted a few questions, and that's cool. I'm I'm happy. This would happen if we were having a conversation. We would talk about a variety of things. So that, that's cool. Joe says, um, is there any way other than regular blood donations, and then parenthetically he says, which I do several times each year, to lower hematocrit levels? Well, um, cut back on your red meat intake because iron intake affects hematocrit. Uh, that one for sure. I think, and, and, and I think supplementing with something like quercetin, 
because uh, it's been shown to be able to chelate iron out of the blood. Anytime you, you, you drop iron, hematocrit drops dramatically and red blood cell. And so anything that affects red blood cells, um, anything that's erythropoietic, like exercise, which has the ability to affect and increase red blood cells is going to increase hematocrit. Uh, anything that uh, takes, uh, um, any, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, and I don't prepare for any of these questions. I don't, I don't take the time to prepare. So I'm actually thinking as I go through this. So things like thymosin beta four probably aren't a good idea for you if you're trying to reduce red blood cell uh, production. Red meats uh, cut back on those. Um, eat more vegetables. Uh, that that will help also. Uh, but also hematocrit isn't the problem. It's blood viscosity that's the problem because it's assumed that as red blood cells go up, blood becomes more viscous, thicker, sludgy, you know, and that is where all the hemodynamic damage is done to blood vessels and the heart from having to pump cement instead of liquid. And so hematocrit is an indicator of red blood cells. The more red blood cells you have, the more oxygen capacity you have. So I think, unfortunately, red blood cells get thrown out in the equation when we really should be addressing blood viscosity. So things that will improve blood viscosity is add sodium to your diet because that will attract more water into uh, the blood and and make it less viscous, make it more watery. Uh, also, uh, um, apple cider vinegar or any kind of vinegar, really. Uh, if you do drink alcohol, red wine. Um, and then, of course, ginger. Uh, things that are anti-inflammatory thin the blood. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that things that reduce inflammation also reduce blood viscosity? Uh, so I would address inflammation uh, to reduce blood viscosity uh, and and not be so concerned about hematocrit because that's what they're really talking about when they're talking about hematocrit. They're talking about, oh my God, your blood's getting really thick. No, red blood cells can uh, populate uh, without actually making blood thicker if you address blood viscosity. The other question he has is, and let me bring it back up here. Is stinging nettle root extract effective in decreasing sex hormone binding globulin levels, parenthetically, assuming one wants to lower SHBG in spite of recent, recent research suggesting decreasing SHBG may not be, not result in higher free testosterone levels? Okay. Sorry. Correction. Um, SHBG does affect free testosterone levels. If SHBG is high, free tests will always be low. That's not the discussion right now within the scientific community. The scientific community is starting to understand that, in fact, SHBG is a chaperone, not a hostage taker. Um, SHBG has always been thought, and then I'll answer your question about stinging nettle root. SHBG has always been understood to bind to sex hormones. And, but the original thinking was if it was bound to SHBG, then it was inactive. It couldn't do anything. It was worthless. It didn't matter. Only the free form of the hormone mattered for any biological effects purported to occur from that hormone. Now we understand that SHBG is a chaperone and makes the hormone more available to tissue. So, the big number, the total testosterone, which we thought meant nothing because all we cared about was the free testosterone because of SHBG binding all that up, we just found out means something. All that testosterone means something too. And SHBG may actually improve the uh, effects uh, in tissue of the hormone that it's bound to. No. Now, yes, stinging nettle root extract will lower SHBG. It will also uh, lower estradiol levels because it uh, seems to have an effect on uh, on uh, aromatase enzyme. Uh, and and Elisa Profumo just taught me something this morning. This is where I get so smart, by the way. 
Elisa teaches me things, and then I come on the air and take credit for it. But no, she taught me something this morning. She taught me that stinging nettle root and stinging nettle leaves have very, very, very different effects. So stinging nettle root, as you appropriately identify here, Joe, does have all sorts of hormonal effects on estrogen, on sex hormone binding globulin, even on dihydrotestosterone. The leaves seem to have uh, antihistaminic effects and are good for people with allergies. I learned that from Elisa this morning. Uh, so, yes, you, you, there's no doubt that stinging nettle root will reduce SHBG. And what we're learning about SHBG is it's kind of like an area under the curve where there's too low, no good, in the middle is a sweet spot, and then too high, no good. Uh, so you should not strive to lower SHBG unless you know for some reason you want to see if that is the root of a problem you're having. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's that one. So I'm going to go on to the next question. This is a really good question, actually. So Patrick Rogers has been listening to the show for a long time, and we become friends. And uh, he is a true Renaissance man, and uh, and one strong sob. So Patrick Rogers says, "Carl, I know that you have done shows in the past concerning chemicals that are in skin products we apply to our skin on a day in and day out basis. Transdermal delivery is a very good system that gets things into your body. My question is, what can we do?" to bring more awareness to how important it is to keep harmful chemicals off your skin. So many issues are related to exposure to toxins, and we are constantly applying them directly on one of our body parts at a time, and it's the best delivery system we have, and he's absolutely right. And the only way to – so here, here's the problem as I see it. Women are not going to give up makeup. They're not going to give up cosmetics. They're not going to. And they shouldn't because some things are really good uh, that are made by responsible companies who understand that uh, chemicals shouldn't be in their, in their blends. But the problem is that no one wants to talk about it. And, and right there in lies the question. My question is what can we do to bring more awareness to this is how we do it. We have to talk about it. I think uh, we did a casual Friday episode where Elisa Profumo dedicated the entire show to these topics. And she said, on average, and it was some ridiculous number, and I, I know I'm not going to quote it right, but it was something like, you know, women put 380 different chemicals on their face every single morning. Every single morning, 380 different chemicals on their face every single morning. And guess what? Your brain is right there. Uh, until we start to keep reminding people of this and why it's so important to Stay away from companies that have really cool, flashy marketing approaches to everything. But when you start looking at the list, like, like for instance, the parabens, the argument is over. They're not good for you. If there's methyl, propyl, any of the parabens in your cosmetic products, you should not use them. They have been found to accumulate in breast tumor tissue. Huh. Uh, did they cause it? I don't know. But why are they making their way to breast tumor tissue? Uh, there's a lot of things. For instance, mineral oil. Mineral oil is uh, produced in the refining process of separating gasoline from crude oil. Now, think about that. And then you put it on your body, petrolatum, uh, 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 petroleum jelly. That's, just, that's, a, that's a sludge byproduct from the refining process of, 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 of crude oil. That can hardly be good for you to rub on your skin. I'm sorry. I mean, I see them trying to get that crap off of birds and, 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 and animals' bodies that get caught in, in, in oil slicks on the ocean, and then they sell it to us. We just go, oh, yeah, but it's clear. It's, it's, it's got to be okay. I'll put it on. Uh, there are so many chemicals out there that are truly harmful, and you're right. Transdermal delivery is successful at delivering anywhere from 10 to 50% of whatever is in it into the skin, through the stratum corneum, into the blood vessels, into the small vascular architecture in the skin, and then eventually into the blood system where it's traveling to your brain, your heart, your kidneys, and everything else. 
So the only thing we can do is to mention it until it becomes an inconvenience where people go, you know, I guess I have to start paying attention to what I shop uh, for and what I put on my body uh, because that's that's the only way. You Women and men have to push back at the companies. So the, the way you do that is you, you vote with your dollars. If someone has parabens and everybody gets the message that parabens are bad, then the Kroger shelf – of all paraben-containing products gets backed up. They send the product back to the manufacturer because Kroger doesn't eat anything. They don't lose money on anything. The manufacturer goes, wow, we're getting all this product back. Wonder why. They put ears to the ground. They find that, oh, women aren't using parabens anymore. Okay, we'll get the parabens out. New product comes out. So this is how we change things. We don't legislate this. You don't go to, to Congress and waste years trying to get them to take action that's actually going to be beneficial to people. You vote with your dollars. You stop buying products. And if you want to, you take the time to tell people why you stop buying their product. You call them up and say, hey, I just want to let you know. I'm not buying your your makeup remover anymore because I just found that it's got this, this, and that in it. Just want to let you know. That's it. And when they get enough of those calls, they go, oh, we're going to stop, not be able to sell product pretty soon unless we take that out. So that's how you, ch- you change uh, the product's that are available uh, for skincare and take into account their ability to preserve health as opposed to uh, to damage health. Uh, let's see here. We have a live question on Facebook here I'm going to try to get to. Um, uh, just bear with me one second. Ah, okay, so Jason Lelou wanted me to know that he's watching today while he's stuck in traffic. Keep your eyes on the road, Jason. Uh, and uh, John Peaks is in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, listening to the show or watching the show, I guess he's watching it uh, on his way to California. So Darcy Clark uh, says, what's your take on DMSO? This is a very good question. I like DMSO. I first started, I, my first experience with DMSO was when I dropped out of high school, I went to work on the racetrack and we used to use it with horses. We used to make what we call paints. They were usually like betadine, um, Absorbing Junior, and you would add DMSO to it because DMSO would literally make it penetrate. And we knew it was penetrating because we would taste it in our mouths when we used it on the horses, so we knew they could taste it, and we knew it was getting into the skin. Um, and so that was my first experience with DMSO. The thing that DMSO amazed me about was when so, – so when I worked at Aqueduct in Belmont Park – uh, our barns were basically outdoors, right? They had walls, but they had these huge doors that opened up and basically wind and cold blew into what we call the shed row. And we had tack boxes and we had, uh, I was a groom and I had a box filled with my, you know, my, my, my uh, remedies that I would have to put on a horse for an injury. The DMSO used to freeze as soon as it started to get cold out. I thought that was amazing. It would be like 60 degrees out, and it would be all crystals in there. It was amazing. And when you would open it, it would crackle, and you could smell that oniony smell, that that oniony, garlicky smell. That was how I was introduced to DMSO. I was never afraid of it. Fast forward to my transdermal journey. And so, so many of those of you don't know this about me. But I was very active on the bodybuilding forums back in the day because I was the guy to go to if you wanted to blend a drug into a transdermal delivery system. I had written several papers that are still out there today that show people how to home brew with lecithin-based organogels to produce anabolic creams, if you will, because they didn't want to stick needles in their asses, so they wanted to do it this way instead. And uh, so as a result of that, I came back around to DMSO early on. There was, so DM, DMSO comes down to the same thing as fish oil. It's all about the purity. That's what it is. The DMSO that you're going to buy at a tack shop where ho- ho- you know, horse owners buy DMSO for their horses and stuff like that, it, it's, it's not a good quality DMSO. And that's because nobody cares about horses. Now, if you really want a high-quality DMSO, you have to get one from – a company called Gaylord Chemicals. And Gaylord Chemicals makes the only FDA-approved dimethyl sulfoxide made and approved to be used for, you ready for this, cancer drug delivery. Oh, so doctors use this stuff. and so Yeah, yeah, the medical industry uses DMSO. But they don't just use any DMSO. They use this particular DMSO from Gaylord uh, Chemical. And this DMSO 
at very high doses, you don't taste it or smell it because they were, they're successful at removing um, the sulfano something, which gives DMSO that garlicky onion skin odor and taste. Uh, and, and, and obviously their purity is unparalleled, and that's why they're approved by the Food and Drug Administration to sell their DMSO to scientists, compounding pharmacists, and so on that then use it in their uh, in their cancer drug delivery uh, systems. So uh, that's my take on DMSO. I think it's great. Pure is not good. Uh, you've got to have at least 30% uh, either uh, purified water, distilled water, deionized water in there, and the delivery actually increases. Uh, if you use pure DMSO, you will not get as good uh, delivery uh, um, as if you use the one that is uh, slightly diluted. Okay. Here's a question from, uh, this is another one on Facebook from David, Florida. Congratulations. I think David, uh, oh no, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, ha- ha- have you made any changes to your vitamin mineral supplementation subsequent to the show with Morley Robbins? I'm throwing out all my ascorbic acid as soon as the lipospheric order comes in. I have not, to be honest with you. So I love Morley. I think Morley's great. But Morley is just like so many other people I know who this is it. This is the only thing. This is why all disease exists. And as soon as somebody says that, I don't believe them as much. Now, Morley is brilliant, highly intelligent. I value his opinion, but I do not value his opinion over my own. And that's a critical distinction. If you're not the captain of your ship, then you're going to die for somebody else's reasons and not yours. Uh, But I think Morley gets it about iron. I think that the show that we did about iron and iron overload uh, will ultimately help a lot of people. uh, Because I don't think enough people pay attention to, you know, the hematocrit question at the beginning of the show could be from iron overload. And you could be donating blood from now till the cows come home. Until you get your iron levels down, uh, that may end up persisting for a very long time. Now, do I think iron is one of those things at the root of disease? Not necessarily. Do I think iron is possibly at the root of the symptoms that we consider those of aging, stiffness, degradation of the nervous system, uh, bioaccumulation of metabolic debris that just slows us down. Yeah, I think, I think iron is one of those things. And the reason is, the reason that I say this is, so I know people who take 10 grams a day. In fact, I'll tell you who. Mike O'Hearn has been taking 10,000, uh, 10 grams of plain old ascorbic acid vitamin C since he was a young man because he heard that Jack Lane did that. And it has not stopped his mitochondria from adapting, which everybody's like, oh, don't take any vitamin C before you go out because you'll stop your mitochondria from adapting. Well, it doesn't seem to have hurt Mike. And it hasn't hurt him from putting on muscle. And he ha- and I know the guy. The guy is in amazing shape. Uh, he doesn't have any of the neurological disorders and all that sort of stuff that are associated with, oh, if you start taking vitamin C, it's going to do this and that to you. You know, these absolute statements that people make today, you must run. When somebody says something absolutely, you got to look at them and go, there's, there's nothing absolute except math. Math is the only absolute that we have. Nothing else is absolute. So if, if vitamin C is going to do that to people, it's going to do all to all people and not all people. And if it's not all people, then it's not the root cause. Okay? Um, I agree that some people have susceptibilities, and I can hear my audience thinking, but, well, some people have predispositions. Yes, that's true. But again, when somebody says to you, this is the reason, then it's only the reason for that group of that subset of the population. It's not the reason for everybody's disease. But I do think that the unique thing about iron above and beyond all these other things is it bioaccumulates and we have no system, no innate system to get iron out. So while I made this statement a long time ago and now I know it's not completely accurate it is illustrative it it, it it illustrates the seriousness of iron accumulation that is there's a good possibility that you have iron in your body from a hamburger that you ate when you were 15 years old and while 
that's probably not true if you're like my age, 60, but it could actually be true in some instances. So iron, I think, is is a worry. I, I think it is a worry. Uh, we're going to go back to the uh, uh, previously submitted questions, and then I'll get back to the questions on uh, the Facebook Live here in just a second. So this one comes from Dion Spears. He says, is Casual Friday ever going to come back? Elisa and I talk about it all the time. I would love to have her in the audience. I love working with Elisa. You know, I, I, I think she's brilliant. She's funny. She's, uh, uh, you know, bubbly. I mean, she added a quality to the show that I haven't been able to repro- re- uh, reproduce or, or replace, and I, I'm not going to try. Um, it really depends on several things in our lives uh, to happen. It could happen. Uh, I do want to just get her back on the air you know, for an afternoon here and there once in a while. That would be nice. Uh, Dion Spears also says uh, a one-time off-topic reunion show. Excuse me, I had a cough. So uh, I'm going to visit Aaron Singerman probably next month, and we've actually talked about going through all the old episodes of Off Topic, having different employees at his office pick out things that they found fascinating or were like, wow, I didn't know that, or... And then doing a show where we listen to the clips, Aaron and I, and we kind of, uh, you know, comment about them. Like, where was I at that point in my life? How was I feeling? God, I don't feel that way now. I wish that didn't happen or whatever. And so, yes, I think you will see um, an off-topic reunion show of sorts. I just don't know that we'll have all of the original players on, but we definitely would, may have tapes of them you know, where they, they appeared. Uh, Dion Spears asks this question, and this is a really good question. Um, give me a second, Dion. I've been there too. I've, I'm starting a new relationship after a really long and bitter divorce. It's been almost a year, but I'm still worried about opening up and feeling vulnerable again. How did you get it was the right time? How did you get it was the right time and you had the right person to start a new relationship with? So this is just me. And... This I can't speak for anybody else, but since you know off topic, you know that I was at a point in my life where I said I would never, ever be in a long-term relationship again. I thought women were evil. Uh, I thought, you know, and this is what happens. And women feel the same way about guys when they go through divorce. I'll never be with a guy. Guys are idiots. And so I get it. And it's not like this is just me having those feelings. But um, what happened for me was... When I met Elisa, I was not prepared to meet her, and she kind of took me off guard. And I and I know what you're talking about, because remember, when I was doing Off Topic, I started threatening that I was going to do open season on men, where I was going to become the male version of Joy Behar. I was just going to hate all women e- equally, all of them. Um, I also thought that Charlie Sheen had it right, you pay women to leave. I thought, well, this is this is going to be an easy way to go. But then I fell in love. And and here's what I discovered, you know, because um, and I wasn't prepared for it. I was actually like it, it was almost like I didn't want that to happen at that point in my life. I had invested all this energy into this over here. But I, I kind of feel and I tell my children the same thing, Dion. OK, I tell my kids these same words that love rewards the person doing the loving Right. And so if you meet a girl or a guy, if you're a girl listens to show and you feel attracted to them and you want to love them, but you're afraid to, what are you afraid of? They're not taking anything from you. In fact, them being the object of your love is going to reward you. It's going to make you feel better. You know, if someone tells you, I love you. It's nice. You hear it. You go, oh, that's so sweet. But you don't really feel anything. Your heart rate doesn't pick up. You don't get hair standing up on the back of your neck. Your nipples don't get hard. I mean, you, none of that stuff happens, right? But when you think about somebody that you love, that you really love, the hair, I'm, I'm, the hair standing up on the back of my neck right now because I'm thinking of Lisa. You know, my nipples got a little hard. No, but I, I'm being sincere. It's like when you are the one doing the loving, it benefits you, it fixes you, it heals you, it makes you better, it makes you more motivated, it makes you more driven, it makes you more excited about life. 
And if it doesn't work out with that person, no harm, no foul. You still experience that whole period of reward. There's a country western song that uh, one of the lyrics is, I texted this to my daughter Sydney when she was going through a hard time at once with her boyfriend. I said, you got to love like there's no such thing as a broken heart. Like you just can't be afraid. You can't worry about that. You can't worry if somebody is, is real or not. And if you love somebody with all your heart and it turned out that they didn't deserve your love, that's on them. That's not on you. You just move on. And here's one other thing. And I found I'm going to be 61 this year. But I have loved deeper and deeper with every relationship I've been to. Because it's kind of like, oh, that didn't kill me. You know, like the first time you break up with your, like, I moved cross country when I broke up with my first girlfriend. I mean, I, I lost it. I, I, my compass, I threw it away. I started drinking heavy. I mean, I just went off on the deep end, moved to Las Vegas. But you live. You're like, oh, I'm still alive. This worked out. Okay, I'm with somebody else now that actually I like. So with each of those breakups, you realize, wow, I can get really deep into love and I can still survive and live. So the next person benefits from that because you love them deeper than you love the, the, the past person. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Don't overthink it, brother. If you find somebody that you think the world about and that they make the hair on your neck stand up and your nipples get hard when you think about them, go love them. If they turn out not wanting that love, no harm. Just move on because the next, the next one's going to be even better. Get excited. When somebody breaks up with you, you should go, oh, shit, I can't believe what's going to happen next now. I mean, if that was that good, there's something even better coming? Nah, don't worry about it. Uh, best joint supplements. I got to give props to Sean Madeer over at GLC Direct. He has the best. It's uh, it's called uh, Actostatin. And there's nothing like it. It's got like six patents on it. Everything else isn't even a close second. Um, but anyway, I, I would go there. And then the next question that Dion had was, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, I'm working several computers. At Being that you started weight training after 40 years old, how much muscle did you put on in the first years? I'd be lying if I told you. I wasn't keeping track. I was, I was, Pounded down protein. I was reading muscle magazines. I was trying everything. But what I can tell you, because I still had a lot of fat on me back then. What I can tell you is I got strong as MF, man. I got strong. I was squatting 455 like in a year and a half after first starting the training. I just had strength. I, I, I am blessed. You know, I come from a long line of Italian brick masons we we're kind of like part mule part human my father was so strong in fact we lived in a four-story apartment building on Walworth street in Bedsty, brooklyn and he strapped a refrigerator to his back and went up four flights of stairs to bring it to my cousin geraldine's apartment walked it up now don't get me wrong refrigerators aren't that heavy if they're empty don't get me wrong but i mean it wasn't like a consideration you know he didn't get a dolly and he walked it up. And so I come from really strong people. I never realized it because I never experimented with strength uh, until I got sick. And then I realized that, wow, I, I have a gift. I need to I need to work with this. So I don't know how much muscle I put on, but I put on mad strength. And I'm talking about before I even started using any kind of performance-enhancing drugs. Um, I was absolutely watching uh, the score on my strength. I can't tell you how much muscle I put on. I'd be lying to you. I really would. Uh, this is a really deep question. What is ultimately uh, what I want SHR to evolve into when it's all said and done? I, I don't know. I don't really think that far in advance. I don't think about the show that way. I, I get emails from people all the time telling me that the show is changing their lives. I got one from a 24-year-old girl that I'm actually turning into a blog because I'm finding more and more young people listening to my show, which to me surprises me because when I was that age, I didn't want to listen to anybody like me. Yeah, I wanted to go out and party and have fun. But apparently there's some very mature, uh, very well-grounded uh, 24-year-olds out there, and they listen to the show, and I love it. What do I want? I'd love for the show to continue on. I really hope that... 50 years after I'm dead, people are digging up my old episodes and going, holy shit, this guy talked about this back then. 
Because the, the funny thing, when I talk to advertisers, I say, how do you convey to them that we talked about the keto diet in 2006 with Dr. P. Pasquale on this show? I had, I had, uh, uh, we talked about paleo in 2006. I had Dr. Lauren Cordain on the show when he had just published his book. I, like, I talk about stuff because I'm inquisitive. I'm interested. I'm not, I don't look for stuff and go, oh, this will be good content. Because if I looked at stuff that way, I'd be doing a lot of mainstream bullshit. A lot of the stuff we're doing on peptides, it, Five years from now, it's going to be like, wow, this guy was talking about peptides all the way back then. He was doing a show about all these different peptides. And plus, we have a peptide question today, too. Um, I just want, I just hope that the, the, the show stays around long after I'm gone. I hope that people are still listening. Uh, obviously, I won't be alive to be vindicated for some of the things I've been called uh, over the course of my career. But, um, and that leads to this question here. Am I well-recognized? I'm not well-recognized anywhere. No, I can stand next to people and nobody knows who I am. I go to the Arnold. I was more well-recognized when I was working with Aaron Singerman because Aaron is well-recognized. Um, my voice is well-recognized. I will talk and people will uh, say, you know, are you Carl Lenore from Supreme Radio? I'm, yeah. I was at an A4M convention and somebody did that to me not too long ago. And so, yeah, I um, – I, I, but I'm I'm not. I, I don't have that level of celebrity. I, I really have a small niche audience by anybody's standards, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a celebrity, and this show hasn't made me a celebrity. Let's go to a question from Jason Lelou. He said, uh, "Antibiotics and gut flora. Antibiotics can wipe out your gut flora. Not all of them. Um, at one point, you had discussed doing that on purpose to repopulate the gut. I I." It was a, a, a supposition of mine. I wonder if you could. I didn't do it. Uh, at the time, it was the uh, VSL number three. I'll never use that stuff. That stuff gave me SIBO. Uh, if someone has to take antibiotics, what would you – current thoughts about fixing the gut afterwards? I assume LL37. So I take LL37 before taking antibiotics, first of all. LL37 is friggin' magic. If there's any peptide that lives up to the hype, melanotan does, GHRP6 does. You know they do. Melanotan makes you nauseous and tan. GHRP6 makes you friggin' hungry as, as all get out. And LL37 wipes out and obliterates all the fungus and uh, and bad microbes in your body. And it's so evident. If you have I, – I get emails now from people who said, I can't believe it. You're right. My toenail fungus went away. After one round of LL37, I know this stuff is amazing. It's amazing. And I can't tell you the number of people who tell me that it's changed their digestive system. They can eat anything now. Not that they should. Um, I would not. Uh, so, yes, Metagenics makes a probiotic that you take specifically with certain types of antibiotics. The emerging research shows that antibiotics may not. Uh, do the scorched earth thing that we think it does to the flora. Now, that changes if you're somebody who's getting antibiotics every three weeks from your doctor for something. That's a, that, that's a different story. But a round of antibiotics doesn't seem to permanently obliterate uh, the gut microbiome, and it looks like the gut does try to restore itself. I would not take LL3, um, I would not take a VSL number three ever again because it's just too much, too high. Um, I literally seeded my small intestine and gave myself SIBO, pounding down 900 billion CFUs of LL, uh, of, uh, of uh, VSL number three a day and eating quantum amounts of fibrous protein bars and protein and foods and, and I basically gave it to myself. Um, but yeah, I, I would use LL37 before I'd use antibiotics. And if I had a virus, I would use thymosin alpha one before I would use any type of antivirals because these are naturally occurring in the body. They're peptides. You're just bumping up, bumping up the amount. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely, uh, something that I would turn to. And of course I wouldn't die just to be an ass and go, well, I'm not going to ever take antibiotics. I mean, I'll take them if I'm sick and I need them. I'll definitely take them. Dylan Gutro says, look, my, my thoughts on low dose trend for an aging male, you know, 
the uh, the 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 part of me that likes to listen to Lincoln Park when I lift says, "Yeah, man." Um, but the part of me that understands the uh, overall allostatic load of living and having to manage that says, "Nah, it's not a good idea. Just take testosterone. You don't need trend, not even low dose. Look, trend is synthetic. Okay, it's already been associated with Alzheimer's with dementia. Did you know that? I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get dementia from it. Maybe I will. I did a lot of trend back in the day. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think so, Dylan. I, I just, you know, NPP, I know you and I have talked about NPP. I even stopped that. I'm like, come on. Testosterone will do everything I want if I'm just rock solid on my training and my diet and get my sleep straight. I don't need all the other stuff, and neither do you. You really don't. You really don't. Uh, David Florida. I love the hamburger when you were 15 years old analogy, but I worry a bit that in my case, it's more like the iron enriched Jiffy Mix pizza that mom made in 1974. Well, here's what we know about that. Plant sources of iron are what they use for iron fortification in supplements and in foods. It's just not well absorbed, not at all. Not Unless you're taking copious amounts of retinol and vitamin C with it while it's in your stomach. This is why iron supplements don't help people who are iron malnourished. Uh, it doesn't do anything for them. And this is why all of the uh, – so like in third world countries where their ch- children are suffering from real severe malnutrition, they give them iron supplements with vitamin C and vitamin A. They give it to them that way because they know that if they just give them iron supplements by itself, it's it's just excreted. The only iron that is readily available is the one that's attached to blood. It's called hemi-iron. And that one, it knows right where to go. Gets right into your bloodstream, and it works perfectly. And it, it and you absorb a ton more, a ton more of that than the the, the, the little tiny bit that you may have gotten from that pizza. Uh, where in the Constitution does government get power to tell the people what they can and cannot put in their bodies? Intraven- uh, intravenous vitamins, cannabis, etc. You know, that's a really good question, Kevin. And the reality is that the government should not uh, be able to tell us what to put in our bodies at all. Uh, and the whole idea that government regulates anything to do with life. And I should be able to, k- to take my own life if I want to. If I'm, if I feel like I'm done and I'm checking out, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a burden to people. I don't want to live for the next five years pooping in a diaper facing the wall. I should be able to check out if I want to. And uh, I've thought about it plenty of times. I'm like, well, if I ever got really sick, I would definitely just like, I'd go off into the woods and hunt until I died. Um, but you know, that's a, that's a question that I, I don't feel comfortable discussing because it's so multifaceted we would first have to look at uh, social and religious constructs and how they played a role in the development of government and governmental attitudes and then we would have to say is it the government's place to keep you from hurting yourself and uh and, and if not is it the government's place to keep you from hurting other people and then the discussion starts to get very very murky uh, but I don't I, – I, you you know if you've listened to my show for any length of time, you know I've said I don't want the government in my pantry. I don't want them telling, them, telling me what I can eat, what I can't eat. And, you know, cocaine is a naturally occurring uh, thing. You know, cannabis – these are all naturally occurring. Cannabis grows out of the earth. You know, it, it, and, and let's – to kind of go tangentially where the whole recreational drug became evil thing – you have to go back to San Francisco during the time of the building of the, the, the Trans-American uh, Railroad System. And we were importing Chinese uh, from China as workers, and they were bringing with them opium uh, and opium dens. And they had their opium dens in Chinatown in San Francisco, and they frequented them. And then, and then, but then the, the, the – um, uh, the people that were also against uh, alcohol, the pro- that wanted uh, uh, to have prohibition, they started to s- spread lies, rumors. They would say 
that the Chinese men were luring white women into the dens and then giving them opium and then having wild sex with them and then sending them back home. And that is when recreational drugs became targeted. And it really became targeted because they were trying to um, eradicate uh, some of these uh, social uh, structures within the, the Chinese community in San Francisco. That's where it all started. That's it. California. California. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, to understand why we can't take drugs, you have to go back then. Because before that, my mother used to use something called paragoric on my teeth. And she had this bottle like from when she was young. And it had opium in it. They used to put it on the teething baby's uh, gums to get them to stop crying. Uh, women used to be able to take a product that they would be able to go and buy at their, their pharmacy called laudanum, which was, uh, which was basically, uh, a, a, an opium drink because women weren't supposed to drink alcohol in public. So they would dose with this stuff. They'd keep a little, little bottle of it in their, in their purse and they'd just take a little bit and they'd be cruising and having a good time because they weren't, they, they, it was thought that that it wasn't nice for civilized women to drink in public. Uh, so they had that. So we've had recreational drugs forever, but, uh, but you could thank California and, um, Really, the racism that started there against the Chinese people for spreading those horrible rumors and saying that the Chinese guys were, were sedating uh, women and raping them, uh, that started the whole recreational drugs equals a bad thing movement. That's all I got on that. How do I get LL37? So there's a couple ways you can get it. If you have a doctor um, who is uh, already prescribing peptides – they can order LL37 from TaylorMade Pharmacy in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Uh, if you have a doctor and he's not prescribing peptides, tell him to go to the International Peptide Society website, which is peptidesociety.org, and sign up to be trained. Uh, and then he can write you a prescription and you can get it filled there. Or you can go, if you're willing to use a research provider, and it says right on the bottom, not for human use, um, but you handle that however you want. Uh, and you could go to a company like peptidesciences.com and get LL37 there. Uh, let's see. So we have, uh, it looks like one more question and I'll go through the list. So this one comes from Wes Scott. He says, uh, what's the better peptide for ADHD or Hip injury. I mean, these are two vastly different conditions, and I guess that's why he's asking because, you know, these are very, very different. Um, so for ADHD, I would probably use something like CMAX, which is a nootropic injectable or intranasal peptide, which has um, it has a uh, dopamine balancing effect and, and actually uh, makes people feel more calm and focused. I would use... Definitely LL37 for at least one or two, maybe even three uh, six-week rounds at 100 micrograms a day because we know that children with ADHD have problems in their guts. A recent study has tied uh, gut certain microbes in the gut to ADHD, and, and it makes perfect sense. These brain problems that we're having today are originating from the gut because the gut – is loaded with these really horrible microbes, and they eat the food that you eat. Excuse me a second. They eat the food you eat, and they poop out chemicals, and those chemicals either improve the quality of life or they harm the quality of life, the latter being poisons. And some of those poisons are neurochemicals. They, they, they go to the brain. They befuddle the brain. They, they poke areas of the brain when they shouldn't be poked and these kids don't know what the hell they're doing and they can't focus and they're jumping off the walls. So LL37, uh, absolutely I would use uh, for ADHD and I'll bet you anything uh, that you could get these kids off of Ritalin, which is horrible drug. Oh my God, it's just a terrible drug. Um, hip injury, different story. All the growth hormone secretagogues, impermorelin, uh, modified growth factor 1 through 29, GHRP6, CJC1295, uh, absolutely. 
Uh, also, uh, I would look for BPC-157 because these have been shown to heal soft tissue and bone. Uh, so you have growth factors. You have BPC-157. Uh, and then uh, possibly mm, it depends on if there's some sort of muscle issues uh, with the uh, hip. Uh, but I would also look to something like uh, uh, IGF-1 uh, uh, um, long R3 and small doses of that in, in the general vicinity of the injury. I need to buy a pallet of LL37, Darcy Clark says. Yes, a pallet. I'm, I'm waiting for some right now. I ran out. Um, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. Look at this. This is actually a commercial free show. It wasn't supposed to be. I was supposed to run, uh, some commercials here. What is your take on oral BPC 157? So I think it works, but I don't know that it works. I've never used it. All the early research says you can use it. Um, I think that what we do know about it is it's actually, uh, we don't know if you take it in the in orally if it goes to work helping the stomach first because BPC-157 is also good for the gut. Um, we don't know that. So there's, I think there's a, there needs to be more research, but the early research said that it was a peptide that was friendly uh, to the gut. And so as a result of that, uh, you could take it orally and it wouldn't be uh, degraded. I, I still would inject it. I really would. Dr. Jeff Galini in the crowd. Great job, Carl. Thank you, Dr. J. We need to talk, brother. I haven't talked to you in too long. It's been too long. Uh, let's see. I don't think we have any other questions. That's it. Let me make sure. Let me just go through this list here and make sure I didn't miss anybody because I'll feel bad if I did. Uh, we got that question. We got that question. Got that. Bring back flow gel. Yeah, see, so Scott Richardson knows who I am from the boards, <laughs> if he put that up there. Yes, bring back FlowGel. I still use FlowGel from time to time when I'm doing experiments with stuff. In fact, I sent a bottle of FlowGel Ultra to Dr. Dr. J so he could reverse engineer it. I'm waiting for him to come out with his new transdermal vehicle. Uh, so hopefully that'll be in, uh, not too far away. But anyway, yes, so Scott Richardson is talking about FlowGel Ultra, which was my go-to transdermal vehicle that I used to use when I wanted to uh, compound stuff, let's say. And it's a, it's a fantastic product. It's very expensive. I knew the formulator. His name was Do uh, Jim Rogers, and we became very close friends. And I even had him on my, on my show, I think, in like 2007. It's probably the most boring interview. Uh, it's probably my most boring interview I've ever done because it was so heavy in transdermal science. I should dig it up. What is my favorite protein source? You know what? Uh, I got to say egg, Dr. J. I really do. And I'll tell you why. I've had a back off of the, of the red meat while I get my iron under control. Um, and I've been eating eggs twice a day. But I mean a lot. So I'm, I'm only eating. I'm, I'm doing it the bodybuilding style like you would have done back in the day. I'm, I'm eating. A, I'm having a cup to a cup and a half of of. Pure liquid egg whites, nothing else in them, no gums, nothing like that. Um, and then two whole eggs thrown in there. And I'll do that twice a day. I do that for my first meal in the morning and for my last meal in the evening. And I love eggs. And you know, and you know better than I do that eggs uh, are really the king of all protein sources. When you compare protein sources, everything is compared to egg. And I like egg. I, I like the way it tastes. I really do. And uh, let's see. So this comes from Brandon Murphy. Could Michelle Obama have higher than normal testosterone levels? I know it's this is supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek in, in kind of a joke thing. But the reality is that Michelle Obama may have had a very mild uh, pituitary adenoma at a, at a young age. Uh, that is, so a lot, of, a lot of times people who have pituitary adenomas, they... They have an active period uh, in during during their adolescence and during their maturation, and then it stops. The only time we see the pituitary adenoma uh, not stop, it usually results in acromegalia, where giantism, where we have, you know, Andre the Giant, he had a, a, a pituitary adenoma that produced way too much growth hormone. And, and they usually die early, by the way, too. 
um, because of the excessive uh, effects of, of very, very high levels of growth hormone lifelong. Uh, but I, I think it's probably more likely that Michelle Obama uh, either has a, a pituitary adenoma that has gone back to sleep or, or something in her environment caused her to really produce a lot of growth hormone uh, during uh, the maturation phases uh, because she, she, she is a big human being. She's a big human being. Uh, I will say that. And, you know, and I'm sure there's other big human beings in her family. I'm sure that that. Uh, she probably I, I've never done the research. I really don't care to, but I'll bet that uh, it's not uncommon uh, in her in her lineage either. So there's there you go. I right, uh, what other questions are there? Come on, I said I'll answer anything. And people are throwing some really good questions at me. I wasn't prepared for. I'm trying not to be political either. Uh, I'm trying to answer these questions straightforward, without an agenda. Anyway, it looks like that's it. So I'm going to pull the plug. This has been a fun, a fun, fun, fun. Uh, come at me, bro. I got to thank, uh, Dion Spears. I got to thank, uh, Patrick Rogers. I got to thank, uh, uh, Wes Scott. Um, I got to thank Kirkland Morletti. Uh, who am I missing? And Joe Nasrallah for sending questions in. So Monday I'll post on Facebook, uh, the next upcoming, uh, which will be in two weeks uh, uh, from today. And then people can start putting their questions. It's a lot easier if everybody just posts their questions there. Because it's so much easier for me to go. I have people who text me questions, uh, PM me questions, put them on Facebook, send them an email to onair at superiorradio.net. And it's it's hard enough. If I missed your question, that's why. I, I Everything is not in the same place. Okay, wait. We have more here. Allergy season uh, upon us. Would LL37 help with that or anything else? I don't think so. I don't think LL37 is going to help with allergies because allergies is something completely different. Right, allergies is a, an immune system that, for some reason, has decided that what you're allergic to is harmful, and so it overreacts. Things that would help you with allergies, however, you can thank Elisa Profumo for this bit of information, and uh, that is stinging nettle leaves, a supplement with stinging nettle leaves, also quercetin, uh, quercetin, quercetin, also MSM. If you take those three things and clinically uh, uh, in clinical doses. So a uh, quercetin, you're going to need about, I think about uh, 200 milligrams twice a day. Um, I want to say stinging nettle leaves, you'll probably need about a half a gram of standardized, uh, uh, highly standardized uh, uh, raw materials, uh, probably about uh, half a gram two or three times a day. And methyl sulfomethane, or MSM, You'll want to take about two grams twice a day. I predict if you did that, you would not see the allergies that you normally see, and you won't have to take anything that makes you feel weird, like some of these antihistamines that they promote. How do I feel about Macuna Purinus? You know, I've never noticed any increases in dopamine or any signs of increases in dopamine, and I've used it several times over the years. Um, I don't, I don't feel anything about it. I think some people respond to it and some people don't. I mean, it's just, it's just that straight out. Um, but, uh, you know, look, my sister, when she had Parkinson's disease, she took it for a while and she seemed to think that it was doing something for her. I don't know that it was, but she thought it was. So I think Makuna may have some value. Just, it's just not something I've ever been excited about. And that's it. Oh, by the way. If you don't put on blue-blocking sunglasses before you go to sleep at night, you're missing out on one of the greatest nights sleep ever. And right now, if you go to superhumanradio.net and click the Blue Blocks banner ad, you can save 20% off a pair of Blue Block sunglasses. Elisa wears them. I wear them. I swear by them. I tell you right now, I put them on, and an hour and a half to two hours, I am yawning. If you want to be asleep by 9 o'clock, you put them on by 7. You will get the best, deepest night's sleep of your life. Go to superhumanradio.net, click the Blue Blocks banner ad, and get started today. And that's all I got. It's Friday. I'm looking forward to the weekend with the lovely and talented Elisa Profumo. So we'll see everybody Monday. 